run it back. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> and we're For live. Seventeenth time. And Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Girls and Co. This has been a long time coming because man, we've had some technical issues. This is Cody Ponce, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Pax, Girls and Co. Oh. Thank you. Um, been following you guys since you guys started. Obviously, since you're one of my best friends, so been uh hounding you about getting on here so uh here ah, we are i know i we tried to do this like a couple weeks ago and we started off with a really great conversation just essentially stating the fact that we have been friends for 10 years like just about 10 years which is crazy to think about a lot has happened and you in the 10 year stretch of time for you and your story i feel like i mean for not just me and my story but our story together i mean Seriously. like the things that we both have helped each other through and the things that we've gone through and look at us now. I know it is crazy. So let's go back to you in high school and let's start at the beginning of your story with this whole baseball journey. Cause that's kind of where our friendship came from. And that's kind of how you ended up where you are now. So you're in high school, you're a pitcher, you maybe want to go to college for it, but you don't know you're not getting recruited. Tell me that story. Yeah, so uh, 2012, I was at an all-boys school, uh, Damien High School. Um, I didn't really have any offers to go anywhere to play baseball at all, so I thought I was going to a junior college. Um, there's a few out here that are actually pretty uh, pretty good, and I was going to try my best there. Um, I got a few offers at the end of my senior year. Um, actually, instead of a few, it was literally a perfect couple. There was two offers. Um couple uh and um one of them was cal poly pomona and the other one was cal baptist university the first offer i ever got was from cal poly pomona pitching coach his name was brett latchman he sent me the offer gave him a verbal com uh commitment five days later i was at cal baptist university doing a in-person uh tour because i had no idea about <laughs> i well i didn't know any of the rules right like I was just like rolling the dice and trying to get the best possible deal that I could. Mm -hmm. And um, ended up going back with Cal Poly Pomona, obviously, since we already made the verbal. And I spent the next three years at Cal Poly Pomona. So before you got to college, or actually when you were in college, is whenever you kind of came into your own. That's when, you know, you were throwing a lot better. You were going to these summer leagues. That's where we became friends. So you went to the Alaskan summer league and then you also went to Cape Cod. So what is, for those who don't know the importance of what summer league is for these college baseball players, what is the importance of something like that? Yeah. I mean, especially coming from my scenario, right? You're coming from a division two athlete who, let me rewind in the sports that we all play. They always say, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Right. Now, that obviously changes when you are playing at a Division II. Mm -hmm. um, the, they will find you is a lot more minimal and a lot more scarce. And these summer leagues give players like myself and other Division II, Division III, NAI schools, JUCO schools, opportunities to go out there and show that they can compete at a higher level in which they're playing at already. Um, so for me, going to Alaska was showing that I can play with some D1 baseball players yeah. and then um, having success out there and coming back to Cal Poly and staying out of Division Two, 
where nowadays you can just hop into transfer portal, which wasn't a thing back in my day. Like nowadays people are just bouncing back and forth from different schools, mm-hmm. which I think is great. But I had some of the best times that I made some of the best friendships through right. those three years at Cal Poly. So I played in Alaska after my freshman year, between my sophomore year, came back. Um, there was like a little bit of a connection for us um, at the Alaska League. And then I came back and I played uh, at Cal Poly my sophomore year and then got to go to the Cape Cod League, right. which I believe is still um, the number one summer ball league for college. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. And that's where we first met was the summer of 24, which yeah. is in about eight months. Coming up, coming up on 10 years. 10 year reunion. Love that. Yeah. But I, yeah, that's one of the things that I think is so unique about the baseball world. That is something that, you know, people who know it, know it. And people who don't just don't even know what to ask about it, but it's cool because you're right. It, it gives players an opportunity to be on a big stage that wouldn't necessarily get that opportunity. So I think there's this preconceived notion that, you know, if there's a guy that's on Vanderbilt baseball or someone that went to a D2, if that D2 player is better than that Vanderbilt baseball player, they're going to get on that summer league team. And this guy's not going to just because of where he goes to school. It kind of levels the playing field. And essentially the only thing that matters is talent. And I think that's something that's so cool and such a unique opportunity for a lot of players who might not have gotten seen in high school and might not have been at, you know, the highest of highest of schools with the best development teams, whatever it may be. And also you meet a lot of great friends. Yeah. And I believe we met while I was selling raffle tickets, if that is correct. I believe so. Yeah. And I I was dating someone who was playing up there and then I had some of my college friends from Tennessee that were also playing and kind of just friendships started from there and kind of bounced around. I've never really been in the same city outside of you guys living in my apartment in Arizona, but that's a different whole different story. Which Shout out to the vet, to to AB <laughs> for that. Uh you're a real one for sleeping on that blow up mattress. Just want a quick shout out. Love you, brother. And I'm a real one for sending you guys to the grocery store and you guys choosing to go to Costco instead. I ended up with three pounds of shredded cheese. Who needs that much shredded cheese? Uh, we ate all three pounds of that shredded cheese. Okay. So back to your story, which the, our stories will kind of weave in and out. And so you're in college, you get drafted and you're not only going through this very big life-changing event professionally, but you are also beginning to go through something really big and life-changing personally. So walk me through that period of time in your life and your perspective on how it unfolded. Yeah. In 2015, I was drafted to the Brewers second round 55th overall, very blessed um, to have that opportunity to have gone that high, especially for a division two athlete. Um, There was only, I believe, Josh Stalmont, who is my friend at the time, got me beat. And he went to the Kansas City Royals. And I believe he was two picks before me, 53, I think, mm, something so around close. there. So close. I know. Um, it was always a battle between us two. Um, but yeah, 2015, I was drafted. I had the opportunity to uh, have my mom and dad. And my uh, my mom and dad flew out to Milwaukee with me to sign the papers. Um, what a wonderful experience that is for anybody who has the opportunity to sign with a big league team. And to go on to the organization as a, through their minor leagues. Yeah. 
um, came back home after my first half season and um, had a full off season with my mom and dad. And then went out for spring training, my first spring training and broke with the team. I went to low A ball in Brevard County, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were out there for a week and opening night, I got a phone call um, from my father after the game. And it was just one of those eerie phone calls that like you kind of hear um, you kind of hear their tone of voice where something's wrong. Yeah. Um, I found out that my mom was going into surgery for a stage four brain cancer, which is known as glioblastoma. And she was healthy up until this point. She was fully healthy. Yep. Um, she was a hairdresser and, and a bad, went, yeah, badass. Um, <laughs> she can drink anybody underneath the table. That's for sure. That's for uh, sure. And I, and I will still hold that to anybody's standard. Yes. I promise you, my mom will drink you underneath the table. 1000%. Um, but yeah, so I got that phone call the night of my first game in IA ball. It was an unfortunate, fortunate event that I was actually injured at the time that I was able to, whether I was injured or not, I think the organization would understand. And they did understand that I was on the next flight home. Um, at 6 a.m. out of Brevard County. Right. And my mom was already out of surgery by the time I got to the hospital. Pomona Valley, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was Pomona Valley. Um, full successful surgery. There was a lot of complications that could have happened that didn't happen. Uh, she could have lost motor function. She could have lost for like, she could not, she could have lost pretty much everything for physical motor function. Yeah. Um, was completely healthy. They said that the size of the tumor was the size of a lemon, not a golf ball, but most of them are like golf ball sizes when they catch them. Hers was the size of a lemon. Took it out of her, I think it was her left side, I believe. Yeah, left side, Um, which is also the reason why I have a bunny. It's for my mother on my inner bicep. Sorry, I haven't been working out much lately. (laughs) Um, For all those people out there. Yeah, I don't do bicep curls. Um, But... Uh, yeah, so that was a very dark time in my life. They gave my mom eight days. They were like, you can, you might have eight days left after surgery. Um, she ended up making it a year and a half. There is somebody who I'm actually close with. Her brother has glioblastoma and he is still going on. Like they have, they've been doing so much and I, Sabina Rich is her name and her brother is amazing. Um, I have yet to meet him, but I can't wait to meet him because I can only see the joy that he brings in their lives. And I think it's amazing because that's kind of the joy that my mom brought also as well. And so she made it through 2016. She made it through 2017. um, And on December 1st of 2017, she passed away. So during that time, you are... I mean, you're a professional baseball player and, you know, you're at that point in your career where you've made it to, you know, minors and you're doing what every other minor league baseball player is doing, which is trying to climb that ladder to make it up to the bigs, like doing everything you possibly can through injuries, through good games, through bad games. And you have this going on at home. How how did you figure out a way to keep those two separate or balance those two well enough to be able to do both good. 
Yeah. Um, it wasn't easy. That's for sure. Um, I, and I can't say that my journey is more difficult than anybody else's because we all go through loss in our life, whether it's our mothers, our fathers or grandparents, we all deal with it. And yeah. Um, every day was a dark day because every day was a day that I was mourning my mom because there wasn't. Yeah. So literally every day was just, is mom okay? Is, you know, I'm waking up to make sure my mom's okay every day. To where I didn't want to go home from the ball field because the ball field was my only escape. Mm-hmm. So I would wake up, go to breakfast by myself. Everything was pretty much by myself at that time. And I mean, baseball, when I got to the ball field, like that was, I didn't know how to keep them separate. Yeah. So, um, the struggles on the ball field felt like nothing, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of struggles because I was trying to balance both and I didn't know how to with grieving at the same time. Like, like I was saying, like you just kind of dig yourself in a deep, dark hole to where I was showing up at the ball field at like 1130 in the afternoon when usually you don't have to be there until like one. Yeah. And just to be there, just to be there to get away from me sitting yeah. in my apartment and thinking about everything. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't go home till 10, 30, 11. Yeah. So, and, I mean, and that's, I think something that, you know, the game of baseball is such an interesting game. And we've talked about this so many different times, especially through this part of your life. I remember talking about it often. It's like, not only are you dealing with the just normal repercussions of playing a game of failure and it being a very emotionless game, But on top of that, you're also trying to mentally navigate how to grieve for someone who is still alive during that time, which is like a hard it's it's hard not to feel like you're attacked at all angles. And I think you you did a really good job then. And I think you do a really good job now of essentially encouraging other players around you to be emotional and to like let that come through because you really struggled there for a minute and I think once you jumped over that hurdle of okay wait it's okay to not be okay it was it was this enlightening moment and I feel like you really helped a lot of people through whatever else they were going through as well yeah for sure I mean and it wasn't until probably 2019 where I was like it's okay to be emotional so like it was another two years pretty much until yeah. I was like finally comfortable with being like, today's not a good day. Like, yeah. I'm missing my mom a lot. Um, I think it was, it was 2018, April 25th, which is my birthday. Mm-hmm. If you want to put that down in your guys' calendar, shoot me a little DM or a text message if you have. Thirty's coming up. Down the down Thirty's creeping really quickly. Um. But yeah, I mean, I cut all my hair off. I grew my hair out because my mom, obviously a hairdresser. I didn't get my hair cut by anybody for the first 25 years of my life. 24-ish. Yeah. And I still didn't cut my hair after she passed. So April 25th, I cut it all off with my aunt, my grandmother, my sister, my dad. Everybody was there. And I didn't tell them I was doing it. And they were like shook that and completely shocked that I cut all my hair off. And still to this day, like I walk into barber shops and they're like, what do you want to do with the hair? And I was like the least amount of possible because I'm still very skeptical for people. And I mean, I love having my hair long, 
Um, it's a super curly mess right now, but it's the curls. And my mom always was like, you have good hair. Keep your hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you do anything else to your hair, then you're just defying her and you can't. Do yeah. That. I mean, and then it just turns into this big fluff on top of my head. So I was like, grow it longer, keep it short. One of the two. Uh, but yeah, cut all my hair off. And that was kind of like the tipping point for me to find out, like started feeling all of those emotions and mm-hmm. understanding like emotions are good to feel like you you're supposed to feel you're not supposed to bury because if you bury like you're just burying yourself even deeper yep and i still go through a lot of work i still work every day on feeling emotions seeing how i'm feeling and i think it's a progress that we all have as humans that we have to work on yeah i definitely agree and i think a big your mom's storyline is a a big part of our friendship essentially because it was I met your mom when I was out in California spring break of junior year and obviously like fell in love with your family. They became my second family. My family became your family. It's just how it went. And I, to this day, I can't remember why I planned a trip to California at the end of November, beginning of December of 2017, but I did. And I spent half the time with two of my other friends and half the time with you and your family. And it, but like, such a blessing in my eyes that the timeline added up the way that it did. But being there for that was one of the big moments, I think, for our friendship. And I think I I think you see and learn a lot about someone off of a baseball field and out of their professional setting whenever you are in the trenches with someone emotionally. And so from then on, I, I feel like I've always been one of your biggest fans and my family has as well. And so you, you move into that next year of your career, 2018 and then 2019 and so on and so forth. Walk me through, so your mom passes, you're with the Brewers at the time, you can't seem to break the minor leagues, and then what happens? Walk me through that process. Yeah, so um, 2019, I go back to AA with the Brewers, so we're in Biloxi, Mississippi. My Shout dad, my uncle, <laughs> never walked in one of them. Actually, I can say that I never gambled in Biloxi, which is everybody does when they go down there. Yeah. Um, And I don't blame them one bit because the Hard Rock's a beautiful casino and they have a great pool. So we definitely hit the pool up a few times. Um, 2019, my dad, my uncle, my cousin and a family friend of mine are in Biloxi. And I say, OK, you guys can go to NOLA. New Orleans for anybody else who doesn't understand that for most people they know that. Um, so they take my truck to New Orleans and I was like, I'll catch a ride with one of my teammates and it's trade deadline day. And everybody knows somebody's getting traded. They just don't know who it is. It's they're like, ah, oh, it's a reliever. And at that time I got moved to the bullpen and the news was, it was like this and that, that and this. And we're sitting in line for Starbucks, which was like our routine. We just drove into Starbucks and I was like, great. And all of a sudden, we're about to pull into the, to the order our drinks and I get a phone call from our um, minor league coordinator saying, Hey Cody, I just want to say thank you very much for all the things that you've done for our organization. Uh, but you've been traded to the Pittsburgh pirates. Perfect. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, can I get a black ice cold brew? please?" <laughs> like at the same time, like I was like, I don't, and everybody in the car went quiet. Like there was, there was like five of us in the car and we're like, what's going, like you literally just got traded. So took me to the field. I can't do anything with the team. Can't play catch. Can't like, I'm not a part of the Brewers organization anymore. (laughs) So 
and I don't have a car. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a car. And they're like, can you be in, I got to go from Biloxi, Mississippi, all the way up to New Jersey, Trenton, New Jersey in the next like 24 hours ish. And I was like, I can do that. If anybody knows me, I love to drive. Uh, I can do that drive. So I called my dad up and I was like, Hey, I know you guys are in new Orleans right now, but I just got traded and I need my truck. And he's like, uh, okay. Like, who'd you get traded to? I was like the pirates. Like I gotta be in New Jersey in the next 24 hours by tomorrow night's game. I was like, I have to leave tonight. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I have to leave tonight. The team's going to pay for a hotel on the way up if I need it. And I ended up driving through the middle of the night, got into Trent, New Jersey at like 11 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was suited up in the Altoona curve red and gray on the road to play Trent, New Jersey. And they're like, can you pitch tonight? And I was like, give me one night. Just let me play catch and meet everybody and say hello. And met everybody said hello and in 2019 i was in double a with the curve for like two weeks and then they called me up to triple a to finish off the year with the indianapolis indians so you're now with the pirates and you do end up getting called up with them to the big leagues yes Tell me that story because I I remember me and my mom remember it very clearly. We remember the phone call, but I I want your experience and from your point of view. Yeah, so 2020 short season. Um, well, 2020 we go to spring training. Everything happens. COVID shuts everything down. Everybody comes home. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what to do. Everybody's working out their house. We're trying. We're on Zoom, FaceTime calls, like the whole pitching organ like pitching yeah. staff trying to figure it out and then we were like hey okay so like you're on the 40 man with a couple extra guys you're going to be sent to altoona and you're going to work out there for a backup team for the big league team the taxi squad is what the taxi is. squad yeah. yes that's right and so something happened with our big league team and they needed a couple extra guys so i got sent on the taxi squad i had a great guy with me his name was andrew susak love you andrew he had been in the big leagues already before and had some time there. And he's like, okay, this is what you're going to do. You've never been a part of a big league team. You're going to dress like this. You're going to walk in like this. You're going to take care of this. Like you're going to do your own routine. Nothing's going to change. And I was like, okay. So I go from Altoona, Pennsylvania to Chicago and we're playing the Cubs. So I pull in and I'm in the nicest hotel I've ever been in my entire life. We're staying at the Ritz. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the big leagues. This is incredible. I mean, you go from the minor leagues, you're staying at Motel 8s when you're in low A. Yeah. In Clinton, Iowa, it's like you walk outside and it smells like dog food. Now (laughs) I'm waking up in a Ritz with like a king size bed and like absolutely like completely life changing. Right. So I get to the ball field um, and I'm sitting there at my locker looking up at my jerseys and I'm like, holy cow, like that's my name on the back of a big league jersey. Now I'm not part of the team yet, so I'm still taxi squad. So I'm like, all right, cool. If they need me, I'll be ready. I get a call. We get to the ball field and the pitching coach comes up to me. He's like, hey, uh, we need to talk to you for a sec. We need to let you know what's going on. I was like, all right, cool. Um, I walk into Shelty's office, who's our manager at the time, and he goes, "Um, I just want to say welcome to the big leagues, Cody. Um, you're off the taxi squad. You're part of the big league team. Congratulations. So cool. 
it was i still get chills and i also get very sad at the moment because uh like i don't get to call my mom and that was like her dream was she always she always told me can you hurry up so i can watch you on tv she was like i'm tired of watching mlb tv like i want to watch you actually on television yeah so um all the emotions run through me i'm crying i'm giving hugs i can't thank everybody enough for the opportunity and i walk outside and i had the opportunity because of covid nobody was in the stands so nobody was at the ballpark so i had i sat down in the chairs in the bleachers in wrigley field and i called everybody and gave everybody my phone call to say i made it to the big leagues and i got to pitch that night that's crazy i mean to one i mean get called up and have that dream that box checked but to do it at wrigley yeah come on it was pitch black i mean it rained we had a rain delay the whole shebang like extra innings and i walked outside and i was like it is pitch black out here (laughs) there's not a star in the sky it is so dark and i'm like looking up seeing like the, the scoreboard the clock the budweiser sign in right field like i'm taking it all in as i'm running from the bullpen to the game mound and i step on the mound and the first person i see is anthony rizzo (laughs) welcome to the big leagues (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome did did you did he get a hit off you you i got him out i threw a cutter up and in and got him to fly out to right field and the next batter up was uh javier baez and i threw a cutter down the middle and he hit it up the middle for a walk-off base hit Mm, well (sighs) at least your first batter yeah absolutely yeah so i mean then in 21 i was up and down same with 20 you know up and down trying to you know do whatever i can to help the team and then in 2021 again i was up and down um from a starter to a bullpen life um so there was a lot of uh difficulties in that as well trying to learning trying to learn how to be a starter yet also prepare as a bullpen guy not knowing what my role is going to be completely every single time for those who don't necessarily know, I mean, I think it's pretty common knowledge that minor league lifestyle is very much different than major league lifestyle. That's common knowledge. Everyone knows that. But for those guys that are on the 40 man that are right there on the fringes that aren't consistently up, but aren't consistently down in the minor leagues, what is that like? It's not fun. That's for sure. I mean, it's fun when you're there in the big leagues, but going up and down is the hardest part because you are unsure of where you're going to be today and tomorrow because you can be called up and then be sent down at the same day. They can use you and then send you back down and then you're back down for 10 days. And then on day 11, you're back in the big leagues for a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe for the rest of the year. So you don't know. So you have to learn how to prepare for the position in which you're going to be used as um so that was something that i definitely learned a little too late i would actually have to say do you think that position is one of the most underrated hard positions to be in whenever you're playing professional baseball for sure because um whether you're a pitcher or a position player um you get used to the routines and you learn how to adapt so you're going from a starter for me, right? So I was starting in AAA and then they would call me up and then I'd be in in the bullpen or they'd be like, hey, you're going to spot start today. And it's like, okay, like I got to figure this out. And 
then your spot starts against the Chicago Cubs again, and you have to hit. And now I'm like looking at the mound against Jake Arrieta, and I'm like, this is a 92 mile an hour singer that's going to blow my fingers off. And <laughs> you ground it out to Javi Baez, and you think you, you know, like I'm running down the base path, like sprinting the hardest <laughs> I've ever sprinted in my life so I can get my first hit. And Javi Baez is over here double pumping to make a throw to first, like super easy. And I'm like, damn, I thought I got a really good hit right there, but I guess it was just an easy rollover. So, um, yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things to do in in professional sports, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, soccer, is being on the cusp. And it's just going up and down is not easy for anybody at any time. No, no, I definitely agree with that. So let's transition into the chapter that you are in now, because I think it's fascinating. And I don't necessarily think people talk about it enough is that after the end of your 2021 season, you were approached, had negotiations, conversations, all of the business professional terminology to go play in Japan for two years. It was a two-year contract. So how did you decide that you wanted to do that? Why did you say yes to that? Um, Many reasons. At the time, I was single. And I didn't have to worry about anybody but myself. So I thought about the opportunity to, well, let's rewind here real quick. In 2019, I had an opportunity to play for Team USA in the Premier 12 League. That's right. So I traveled to Japan. I traveled to Mexico to help our team qualify for the Olympics. Um, That's what the Premier... Let me stop you right there. You were playing in Arizona League, which is why you were living with me, you and one of our other friends, Andrew. I was allowing you guys to live with me for free because you guys didn't get make anything, pay anything. I had a two bedroom. Then I have to move across the country for a job and you just coincidentally have to go play for Team USA and can't help me move. So Andrew had to drive the truck by himself. Andrew, well, the plan was, it was like, we were all talking about it. I was like, great. I can just drive back with you guys and we can take my truck, take a U-Haul, take your car take Andrew's car. However, you know, you were going to drive the U-Haul, Andrew was going to drive his truck and I was going to drive my truck. Yep. Or maybe I was going to ship my truck back to California. It was one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we were going to drive back to Tennessee and I was going to take a nice little off season break. And I was like, perfect. And then I had an opportunity to come up and they were like, do you want to play for team USA? And I was like, how do you turn down to where those three letters across your chest and yeah. the three best colors in the world? Like you can't. So I said, yes. And you were like, you're going to play for Team USA. You're not going to help Walk me move across the said, country. Guess what? <laughs> and you're I'm like, like for Team USA. And we're like, yeah. But I leave next week. And we're like, oh. wait a minute. What? You're supposed to help me move. And I was like, and yeah, goes, I know, I'm sorry. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I had the opportunity to go play for Team USA. We played um, like, a week and a half in Mexico, which was great. Um, we got to go back to see some of my roots and then played another week in Japan. Yep. And while I was in Japan, I fell in love with the, the country and the culture that they have there for baseball. The noise level that is brought from their fans is second to none. I can promise you that. Like it's playing in a it's playing in Philly during a postseason. That's how loud it is every single night. On like, a regular day. 
yeah, there is Vuvuzelas, there is chants, there is drums, there is cowbells, there is everything you can think of. They're chanting, they're jumping up and down the stands. It is amazing. So I was attracted to playing in Japan, and um, so then we go play 2020, we play 2021, and I get a call at the end of 2021 season. My agent's like, "Hey, you have some interest um, overseas. Do you want to play in Korea?" And I was like, "Korea sounds like fun." Um, I would really love to play in Japan. And a month, like two weeks later, he's like, I have a call from Japan. They want to assign you. And I was like, uh, and now I'm single. So I have nobody to worry about. Like you said, and I was like, let's do it. Yeah. Like, let's go. Why not? So at the time I was like, great, I'm going to be out of here. No problem. Same time as usual, probably middle of February and I'm gone. Well, COVID was still a big thing over there. And to get a visa, I'd apply for a visa and make sure COVID and everything, all those regulations. So it took a lot longer. And in the meantime, I ended up meeting, which is who is ne- which is who is now my wonderful, beautiful wife, Emma. And that's a whole different story in itself. That's crazy um, enough that like, I don't think people understand that like I, re- you made that like phone call to your friends about like potentially going to Japan in December and then met her like a month later like january right 5th yes yeah january like, 5th yep right before you left mm-hmm. you were like i don't know if this is a good idea but i think she's gonna be my wife i was like all right cool <laughs> cool yep yep so met her and we dated her for a month which was all of january and part of february so a month and a half and the beginning of march is when i actually ended up leaving And I was like, hey, I don't know if this is going to work, but I would love to make it work um, because I think you're amazing. And I was already I already fell in love with her. I was like, one, you're six foot. So that makes everything a lot better. Two, you're beautiful. Three, you have a great personality, you know, like looks, attributes, personality. That's the order. Yeah. Raised right in the and that's in the order that we're supposed to look for it. Right now, she's amazing. I love her to death. And, um, we both made it work and that was the first time that I actually like when people say long distance, like they're used to saying like three, three cities over, like you don't really get to see them all that often when we're younger. And then you get to pro ball and long distances, like you're on a three hour time change because they're in Iowa or you're in California at the time because of professional sports and now we're on a 16 hour time difference and i'm all the way across continent (laughs) yeah i'm all the way across the other pond like (laughs) come on now so we ended up making it work um she flew out at the end of the year and which was amazing she uh flew out as one of my yoga coaches and health coaches so we got her in because she was a coach and that's what she does for a living so it works out even better no um and then I pitched in 2022 in Japan. And then I had an offer to the team had a club option. So they ended up picking up the club options. And then I played this whole last year, which she was out there for pretty much the entire time, except for maybe spring training. She wasn't there for. And then um, for the rest of the year, we were out there. So you've had a taste of playing professional sports in both the United States and now a foreign country, Japan. And 
you know, you touched on how different and how loud it is in, in the environment, but what about the actual sport did you find to be different? Because when you were playing here with the Pirates and you were up and down, you were sometimes a reliever from the bullpen, sometimes start, you were back and forth. And when you moved over to Japan, you were strictly starter. Correct. And that alone is a big change, but you're also adding in the fact that you're going to a completely different continent on top of that. Yeah. Um, well, I think we got to first off by saying is like the biggest difficulty was the language. Yeah. It's like one of the hardest languages to learn in the entire world. Yes. Um, <laughs> not only is it a language that's tough, it's like there's an alphabet and there's not one alphabet. There's three alphabets. Of course there is. So you're like looking up at the signs and that's why, like, I think it's funny because like when you see foreigners come over, they're like holding their phone up everywhere. Right. Like they're trying to like, you're like, what are they doing? And I'm this foreigner in Japan. Like you're also significantly taller than everyone in the country. <laughs> yes. Um, so I kind of stick out like a sore thumb. So, uh, yeah, I mean like the, the language is very difficult. Um, but if you see people like the Dominicans, the Latins, um, yeah. If you see a Korean and they always have a translator, that was the same for me. I had a translator everywhere I went on the ball field. I had a translator except for off the field, I, off the field. I was all by myself had to trying to it figure out. it out. Yeah. They're like, here you go. We'll take care of you at the ball field. But for the rest, you figure it out yourself. Yep. Think or swim. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So um, when it comes to Japan, I think one thing that it was really cool was their travel of transportation. Everybody takes a train and everybody walks mm -hmm. and there are no Ubers. So you can't Uber. You can't just call an Uber and pick me up in five minutes and you get to go. You have to call a taxi. You have to tell a taxi where you're going. And like for me, I'm just like, uh, I need to go here, please. And I'm like showing on my phone. And I was like, this is where I need to go. And I'm like using Google Translate, trying to like translate it. And it doesn't really translate exactly how it's supposed to be said in Japanese. So they're like, Simusen, Ponsi-san, uh, where? And I was like, uh, I don't know how to say this in Japanese, brother, but just follow the directions right here, please. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely learned a little bit of Japanese because I want to be able to communicate with my teammates more and obviously have a lot of jokes and because that's who I am. I'm, I'm a fun guy until I step in between the lines and it's game day. But yeah, I mean, amazing culture, wonderful food. Sushi is incredible. I mean, like Drake's song, like when he was talking about flying sushi and from Hokkaido, like that's where I live is in Hokkaido. So we're like that's sushi spot. Yeah. Thanks, Drake. Shout out to you. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, tough times were my first year for sure, because I'm sitting in an apartment for six months by myself and there the starters don't have to stay for the entire game. Oh. They only have to stay. They only have to stay until the start of the game. So I'm get to be home by seven thirty, if it takes me an hour to get home, and I'm sitting in the apartment at seven thirty, like pitch black. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> no, no HBO, no Hulu, no yeah. like, no like any no really yeah yeah. Shout out VPNs. Love you. Thank you. If you want to hook me up, I'll take a free one. Um, <laughs> but. I sat there and again, had a lot of feelings, like yeah. went through a lot of dark times that I was able to talk to Emma about and call my dad about, like cried many, many nights, like was scared many, many nights. 
was happy more nights than I was scared and sad. But the opportunity that I was given out there to be a starter every day was something that I think will only benefit me in the long run because now I know how to prepare. Now I know what I need to do. And now I'm like, okay, I know I can do this rather than going up and down and trying to figure out what I needed to do. And also kind of grew into my body. I mean, I was a late bloomer anyway, so it took me an extra couple of years to kind of figure it all out after my injury in 16 and nothing really kind of got better from that injury until 20 and 20 and 21 were years that I started to kind of climb back up that level and that ladder to feel healthy again. Yeah. And then 22 is I was like, wow, I'm actually healthy. Like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. like this, oh, this is what my body is supposed to feel like on a normal yeah. day. Got it. Exactly. Got it. Let's also not just like skid past the fact that you did throw a no hitter. I did. Yeah. And not only did you throw a no hitter, I was like so pumped about this. I remember I made a video for John Boy Media about it because you were the first foreign player in 16 years to throw a no hitter. Like you went from nobody to somebody overnight. Yeah. I'm guessing. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. I was the seventh foreign player ever to do it in Japan, um, which was amazing. Very blessed. Again, I had a great team behind me. Great catcher who called a great game. There was three great defensive plays that without them, I would not have happened. And I think what it comes down to is there was very little strikeouts everything was a ground ball or a pop-up yeah and that kind of comes back to the difference between american ball and japanese ball um in japan everything is and i don't know if it's a culture thing and i was told it kind of is is many japanese players don't want to strike out against a foreigner it's like again it's a cultural thing like and they don't want to strike out not just against a foreigner but really anybody really like it's just something that they try not to do so in the first two pitches, they're trying to swing and put the ball in play. Yeah. And so that kind of helped me be able to go nine innings. But, you know, 100 and I think it was like 13 or 117 pitches later, I'm drenched in sweat and just like get me on the bump and get me out of here. It's like, yeah, I mean, I walked out there for the ninth inning and I was like, I like almost threw up while it was which is again, something culturally different was warming up on in front of the dugout. Like you get to play catch before the inning in front of the dugout. Huh? Yeah. Completely different. So most people don't really see that in like on TV, but in Japan, all their starters will play catch at usually at two outs, play catch on the sidelines. So that way their arms are warm to go in between, in between the innings to go out there because we only get five warm up pitches. And yeah. Okay. That is interesting. That's different. Yeah. So like you're able to play catch before. What other differences are there like that? Because that, I mean, that's like, it doesn't seem like a big one, but that's just like a big change in what you're used to watching when you watch a baseball game. Yeah. um, They call it, well, it was called, I don't believe it's still called. This is the fifth inning smoke break. The fifth inning, it's like the seventh inning, like stretch. Right. But in the fifth inning, they take five minutes in between the fifth and the sixth to relax and go change jerseys and to prepare for the second half of the game. You go change jerseys. Most, most guys will change jerseys and change, like do whatever they need to do to prepare or like take a little sit down break or like whatever. Bathroom break. Yeah. Like pretty much. It's, 
It is an intermission. Yes. It's crazy. So that was completely new to me because I, I'm usually after the fifth, like I'm starting, like your energy is really high. And like, usually at like 75, 80 pitches and you're like, I can't sit down. If I sit down, like, I'm just going to feel completely exhausted now. So that was something new for me that I'd had to learn of like, okay, well, I need to keep playing catch, but you also don't want to play too much catch because then you're just tiring yourself out even more. Right. You only have so, so much energy in the bank, so you can't use it all. Right. So that was something new that I had to learn to learn about and adapt to. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. So you just ended your second year over in Japan. What's next? What would you like to be next without giving off too much information or saying too much or going down paths you don't need to go down conversationally? I would like to play baseball next, um, no matter where it's at, whether it's um, in Japan or in the States. I just want to be, I just want to go out and compete and show everybody that I am who I am and just have fun at the same time. That's it. Okay. That's a pretty good answer. I'd say that's a good answer. Two more questions for you. Um, Try me. One, your beautiful wife who has been a guest on the show. She was a guest on the show before you were a guest on the show, which is hilarious to me. Doesn't surprise me at all. Has a brother who some people know in the sports world that has now since put you into the San Francisco 49ers fan base. Bang, bang, Niner game. Are you a diehard 49er? I'm a diehard 49er fan. Oh, absolutely. I believe that a bandwagon fan. No, I'm a front runner. (laughs) It's called family front running. That's what it's called. Family front running. So before you were married into the family, though, like you were kind of right there on the like the cusp of being a, a bandwagon. No, absolutely not. No, you were never a bandwagon fan. Never. No, I never watched football. I didn't care. I, 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 never, I know. That's like yeah. why I was like, I'll never forget. My mom was like, why is Cody at a football game? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy because um, when Emma and I first started dating, everybody's like, you you know who her brother is, right? And I was like, well, yeah, it's George. Like, cool. Like, he plays football, like, doesn't, you know, whatever. And no, they're like, dude, like, he is the people's tight end. And I was like, what does that do for me? Like, I don't. That mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I might have been to one or two football games in my entire life before that. I, I never watched football on Sundays. I was always out playing in the yard with my friends and whatnot and didn't really care at all about football teams. Um, but yeah, now I'm a bang, bang, Niner gang, 49, 49ers tell. So, lots, lots of red, lots of red. Lots of red. That's right. Fine. Amen. That's fine. Last question I have for you. Well, actually one more question on that, because I'm actually curious. This just popped in my head. Is it nice going to a professional sporting event and, and being a fan and not a player? Or do you kind of so, have a weird itch of like, should I, do I want to go? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's completely different, right? Because we all watch baseball as baseball players and you're like, you kind of like know what's going on. I'm learning a completely new sport. I'm talking to my father-in-law about who missed this block. What happened there? Like what's going on? Oh, this is a penalty. Like, Oh, okay. That's why the, like, and I know what the penalties are. Cause I played football before, but like, I didn't really care yeah. about it. 
you're a student of the the craft now. Yeah. So now I, I think it's more so I have an opportunity to watch a certain person and the team all together. And it's like, now I understand why people love the game of football because like in baseball, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, it's so like a pitcher and a hitter, like that's all there is. And there's so many of us, right? Whether, but when it's football, it's like, there's one tight end, there's one quarterback, there's one Trent Williams, who's an absolute silverback gorilla. Like he is a massive human being. And I was like, nice to meet you, Trent. Like, holy cow. Like you make me look like, like, like this. And I was like, holy cow, you're massive. And I'm scared of you. And, but he's a great dude. Um, but yeah, I think like now I understand why people are obsessive over football because like you fall in love and you have so much support for these people that are going out there and it is definitely more physical game and I can tip my hat and thank Emma and her brother for all the extra recovery tips that I've gotten because of it and what they have to go through. And when they wake up the next day, like the whole, like getting hit by a Mack truck, like that's true. And it's like, how fast can I recover and how can I be ready in six days? Yeah. And so that'll, that's only helped me because now I'm like, tell me what you're doing because I want to make sure that I can recover just as fast as you can recover. Yeah. So there are some definite benefits that I've um, picked up and some recovery tips that I've taken from them. And yeah, I'm very grateful, but yes, I am a bang, bang Niners gang till the day. Hey, I love it. I love it. All right. Last question. What, maybe not so much what's next for you, but what's the end goal for you? What's something that you want to achieve? That's not on the baseball field. That's something you want to tackle and conquer. Wow. Um, definitely was not expecting that question. Mm. That's kind of tricky. Um, I think just conquering a wonderful relationship with my wife, Mm. you know, um, when you find somebody who you become best friends with and also who you're in love with and somebody who continually makes you a better person day in and day out and expects the most out of you, not just as a partner, but as the athlete and as what I do for a living and what she does for a living, like we hold each other to higher standards now Mm -hmm. that conquering and creating a wonderful life together is something that I will continue to work on day in and day out. It's a great answer. And I mean, on that note, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else you would like to say? What's your favorite memory of our relationship of our friendship that we have? My favorite memory. My favorite memory is, I mean, we had a few funny Nashville nights out and about on the town, but my favorite time of our friendship was when you, me and Andrew were living together in my 800 square foot, two bedroom apartment in Phoenix, Arizona, because I will never forget. There was a string of events that happened to where I thought I was going to kill you guys. Like, the first thing was you guys would do the whole like drink water bottles and leave half of a water bottle, like not finished everywhere, but then say that you cleaned and swiffered, but you didn't pick up the water bottles or you guys would wait until I would go to sleep. And then I'd hear, do we think she's asleep yet? 
whether it's the freaking vacuum or blowing up the air mattress. And then to make it better, you guys were like, hey, you know, we're really sorry. Which also, Andrew, I about murdered Andrew because he ate Doritos and then rubbed his hand on my white couch. So then to make up for all of those things, you guys said, we're going to go to the grocery store, write out what you want from the grocery store, like anything, and we'll get it for you. I'm like, okay. Normal person, grocery store. That's all I think. And you guys go to Costco. And I asked for eggs, bacon, shredded cheese, protein shakes, like a few other, like lettuce, things like that. And you guys got enough food to feed 57, like huge humans for like four weeks. I had those protein shakes for the next like six months after I left Phoenix because there were so many. There were seven, but you pounds, had them. But you seven had them. pounds of bacon. We didn't finish the bacon. We didn't finish the bacon. No. Three pounds of shredded cheese. That, I mean, that's a great memory. I, I love that time because I was like, I think I'm going to murder them. But I would not have it anyway, any other way. Yeah, that was a great time. What's that your favorite memory? Mm. I also always go back to that one Nashville night where we all went out with Ty with Ferg and I was gonna say probably Nashville the, the scissors. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, okay. So a favorite memory that like always will like forever be in my brain is first time I was ever in Knox Vegas. Yes, Knox Vegas, everybody. And it is Sunday night and we're going to Cotton Eye Joe. And I'm like, we're 21, and I'm like, all right, let's go get some drinks and i was like i'm i'm not even gonna lie i was 20 were we 20 we were 20 we were 20 because that's that's the funniest part of the entire story yeah Yeah, we were 20 and i was like all right let's go get some drinks let's have a couple beers like hang out before we go to cotton eye joe and we'll go do some line dancing or whatever because it was the short short contest yeah yep and i was like all right let's go get some drinks and everybody's like they're everything's closed I'm like, <laughs> it's very funny, guys. Like, let's let's go to the liquor store. Let's go grab some beers. They're like, no, like, we can't, we can't buy alcohol on Sunday. And I was like, they're like the Bible Belt, Cody. Welcome to Tennessee. Yep. And I was like, what? So then we end up getting to the Cotton Eye Joe, and you know, things happen. People can't get in, and I couldn't get in. Yep. <laughs> we did have alcohol. We had alcohol at the house. I drank too much. We get there, and I had a fake ID, and look, here's the thing about me drunk. I'm going to tell you the truth. Okay. And the you're guy a truth goes, teller when you're drunk for sure. Guy goes, are you 21? And I go, Nope. <laughs> and he goes, why did you just say no? I was like, well, you asked me, I'm not going to lie. And he was like, are you drunk? I was like, yes, but I'm okay. And he was like, I, I can't let you in. And I was like, but my friends just all went in. So we were all in. Everybody was in. You were the last. We were like, make sure Pax is last. Like if anybody gets, you know, if anybody gets cut, like, we'll all just bounce out. And we're like, Pax is like, and we're walking up and you're like, I'm a great actor. I'm fine. I'm great. <laughs> and I'm like, she's good, everybody. She's great. She's telling us she's a great actor. And I was like, cool. Like, we got this. And we're all walking in pretty drunk, pretty buzzed. Like we took an Uber, like whatever. And we rolled in and everybody walked through the door and I like look back and like you start crying in tears. And I'm like, uh, guys, Pax isn't going to make it. 
And then they go, anyone that is friends with Paxton Elrod, she's out front looking for you guys. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. And then the night ended uh, with us going back to our multiple houses. We all lived right across the street from each other. My phone got ran over by a car. I woke up with 15 people in my room thinking I was dying. And I was just pissed that my phone got broke. Like my screen was shattered. Yeah. And and I woke up the next morning at like eight o'clock in the morning and I walked over to y'all's house and you guys were like, hey, Cody, you think you can help us hang a shower curtain? I'm like, (laughs) guys, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm hungover. And you guys want me to hang a shower curtain? Sure. I'll help you hang a shower curtain. Andrew comes over with the medicine. He's like, okay, Dr. Andrew reporting for duty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great times. And I mean, Arizona was a blast. I mean, that was second to none. So There's very few times that haven't been a great time. Oh, best, best, best memory. And we can end on this. Our road trip across country. Oh, yeah. Prada Marfa, the whole ship. Like, hold on. That was the time best. Time out. Time out. Our road trip or my road trip across the country that you decided to sleep through the entire time. You want to know the funniest thing? Now I'm opposite. I will not ride in the car. I will drive the entire way. Yep. Ever since that, I was going through a midlife crisis because I had lost my job and I didn't know what to feel emotionally. And you were like trying to find yourself too. And I was like, I'll go to California. Yeah, sure. Sure. I I remember telling my mom, I was like, me and Cody are just going to drive cross country. My mom's like, are you okay? I'm like, nah, (laughs) we'll figure it out. You were you were working for Rated Red at the time, and I was like, cool, I'll pick you up at 4.30, and you're like, 4.30. <laughs> like, that was literally your eyes for me. We saw Stephanie and Nick Bear. That's yep. where they- Shout out to BPN, Bears, and Steph. Like, Phoenix. congrats. Yeah, I was before, like, they was, like, big, too. That was awesome. Happy to see them doing great success, for sure. You and I both, but... All right, that's all I got on this interview. I know you got to get to another call. So thanks for taking the time to talk with us, Cody. I appreciate it. Thanks, fam. Love you. You guys have a great one.